A Jewish man who lives in America decides to send his son to Israel to absorb the culture and really understand their homeland. When the son returned, the father was so excited. He couldn't wait to talk to him about this uh, trip to the homeland. He said, son, how did it go? And he said, pop, I had an amazing time. It was awesome, unbelievable, once-in-a-lifetime trip. Oh, by the way, dad, I converted to Christianity. Oy vey, the guy says. (laughs) What have I done? So he decides he's going to go talk to his friend Jacob, a good Jewish man. And he goes to Jacob and he tells him the story about his son. And Jacob says, funny thing you should ask. I too sent my son to Israel and he also came back a Christian. Oy vey. Perhaps we should go see the rabbi and talk to him about what we should do. So they go to see the rabbi. And the rabbi says, funny thing you should ask. I too sent my son to Israel and he too came back a Christian. What is happening to our children today? Perhaps we should pray and ask God what to do, what we should do. So the three of them prayed and asked God what had happened to their sons. And suddenly a voice from heaven, a loud, clear, powerful voice of God said, Funny thing you should ask, I too sent my son to Israel. I thought I would start off with a joke today because I have a watermelon shirt on, and I thought that I would just break the ice with the guy with the watermelon shirt. So if you haven't seen it yet, yeah, it's really pieces of watermelon. And so we're grateful that you're here today. God is on mission, and he's on mission to transform the world. Several, several years ago, nine over nine years ago, a few of us were sitting in the backyard. We were praying, and God gave us this word. It came from Mark chapter 12, 30 and 31. You should write it down. That's the, the scripture that started the church. And what it says is, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as you love yourself. And that became the mission of the church. Jeremy, Liz, Madison, myself, uh, a few other people were there, and we were praying. And God says, I want you guys to go into the world and be a love offering. Now, here's something that we say a lot at our church. If you choose not to come back to this church, it's okay. We're trying to grow the kingdom, not a little little kingdom called Journey. We're trying to grow the kingdom called The Church with a capital C. And if you choose never to come back, take the mission of love and take it to the church that you go to and get plugged in and love those people into the place of eternity. Love them right into heaven because that's the change agent. Jesus Christ is the ultimate change agent once and for all, the only one that ever can and will change lives. And what he does is he comes into our heart and he changes us from the inside out. And then we tell other people how he has changed us and and how he speaks boldly to our lives. We become the mechanism of change and it's all done by love. Several, yeah, you can clap for that. Several years ago, my wife, uh, my wife, she acts like she's my wife, my sister, sorry. They're not in here right now, so you can say that, but... My sister came, and she was still a missionary in Mexico, and she came and said this. She goes, you know what, Jeff? What I found out at Journey is it heals hearts. The world is a broken place, and the place that it really starts with a broken heart. And last week, we ended off talking about all these miracles, and I had people coming and going, I'm a miracle too, right, Susie? Yeah, amen. We've got all kinds of miracles in the church, and it's because it starts with healing broken hearts. And once our hearts get right, 
God gets right and we get right and our life starts to change and transform even in the midst of trials and struggles. So if you are new here today, a special welcome. If you never come back, take this love and share it with somebody else and watch their life change as your life is changing. Today we're going to continue on this sermon series called The Twelve. My buddy Jeremy, one of my best friends, created this sermon series. He really helps us out on all the sermon series. We use his knowledge and wisdom. Usually I say bad things when I'm trying to pump him up today. So uh, he can only take. It's, uh, my wife says one good for 12 bad. So I've got like 40 to make up. So uh, Jeremy put together this sermon series of we're going through the twelve. And what we're doing is trying to grow in our relationship with God, and we're looking at how these 12 disciples did it. So if you're able to stand, let's read from Matthew chapter 10. This is what we call a memory verse, and we're going to use it to kind of start the sermon today. So here's what it says. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the name of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who later uh, uh, betrayed him. Now here's the thing. I don't know where you're at with Christianity. I know some of you, so I guess I could say I know where some of you are at. But where, what do you want out of God today? This week, uh, uh, my buddy Jeff, he's sitting over there, he's playing, saying a song today, was talking about worship. And the thing that God gets out of the worship service is our worship, and it still continues to now. If you open up your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to speak, that's a form of worship to allow the Word to kind of uh, build you up and make you and mold you to be that right Christian. That right follower, just like Jesus. So pray and ask God to speak, and I promise you, he will use this time to grow us all together. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your precious word, and we thank you for the love. We thank you for the beautiful work on the cross. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit is so strong today that we see mass salvation, not just here, but all over Ventura County and the world. Lord, that you will reveal your heart right to our heart. And change our soul and give our mind a refreshing vision of who you are, Lord. And Lord, will you bring right before our eyes a transformation that we can see someone change right in the middle of what you're doing in their life, Lord. I pray that we will see that today through baptism, through salvation, and through your love, Lord. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. This series called The Twelve is really... Uh, trying to get to know the apostles. Most of them, if we start driving to church or driving home from church, if you could name them all, you're pretty good because you probably have your Bible in front of you and open them up. Most of us don't know but three or four apostles. And so this sermon series is trying to get to know the apostles. But I don't know if you've realized this now that we're nine weeks, ten weeks into this. It's really about growing you you and I as apostles. One word or one sentence or one phrase actually helps us understand what they were like, but also grows us as disciples as well. Last week, I think it was two or three weeks ago, Jeremy just used the word zealous. Or Simon the Zealot, and he used that word and created this beautiful message uh, that we need to be zealous for the Lord because he is zealous for us. Last week we used a sentence. Today we're going to use an encounter with one of the apostles. His name is Thaddeus. And the idea is that we are going to become like the 12. We are going to just become normal people that do great work for the kingdom of God. So in our text we see this guy named Thaddeus. Who is Thaddeus in the Bible? 
Well, Thaddeus, as a few of the other apostles, is somewhat of a mystery. There's not much written about him. And he's barely mentioned in our text. Today, we're going to read the one place that he encounters Jesus. To complicate Thaddeus' life a little bit for us is he has a few different names. And so we got to dig through the names. Jerome, he's kind of what we call the Bible scholar. Jerome kind of built the church and put it all together. And uh, he dubs Thaddeus as Trinomius, which means man of three names. So this guy is named three different names in the gospel. If we look at Matthew chapter 10, which we just read, verse 3, and Mark 3.18, it's just a list of names. And in it, it says Thaddeus. Any King James people in the house? Anybody got a King James Bible? Hey, good job. A couple of you were like, um, I still do, right? I actually went to a Bible school that had King James, so I'm King James. But as a dyslexic man, I struggle with it, so I had to do new King James. Um, but in the King James Version, in Matthew chapter 3, it says Lebius, which surname, surname means Thaddeus. In Luke 6, 16, and Acts 1, 13, the list of names of the apostles, one is, he's called Judas, son of James. And in uh, John chapter 14, 22, where we're at, he, Thaddeus is also called Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. And we'll dig into that in a little bit. Now, his name probably is Judas, and it was a very popular name back in the day during the time of Jesus. Probably become a, because of the great military leader, Judas of Maccabinus. Um, and he was a great military leader back in the day, and everybody wanted to name uh, their kid after this amazing Jewish leader. Now, the name Judas actually means Jehovah leads, and that's another reason why people were naming it. it Jehovah was leading this child into a relationship with God. It was a really cool name. Now, probably what happened was, as soon as Judas Iscariot did what he did, nobody since that time has ever named another kid Judas. We've called some of our kids Judas, but we've never really, we don't name our kid that. And uh, it's just been a really less popular name. Both Christian, Jewish, and non-religious people still don't use that name, all because of what Judas did, uh, betraying Jesus. Judas is probably his birth name. And it's not the same Jude or Judas that we see that wrote the book of, of Jude at the end. Some people say that it's this Thaddeus or Judas, but most theologians agree that it's a different one, and that would be the brother of Jesus that wrote the book of Jude at the very end, right before Revelation. These two names, Lebius and Thaddeus, also have translations, and one means heart child, Lebius, and Thaddeus, kids close your ears, means breast child. So it's a term of endearment. You know, uh, at our church, we all have names that we call each other. Most of them good. Some of them are a little bit unhealthy. Uh, but here, it's a term of endearment for Thaddeus. And it really means that he was a gentle soul with a tender, childlike heart. That's why they called him this name, Thaddeus. Because he was a tender, childlike heart kind of guy. Kind of reminds you of somebody with a watermelon shirt, right? My wife would say very childlike, and uh, if you've ever seen me preach, I cry a lot. So uh, that's how God has built me, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. There's something that we learn from Thaddeus or Judas that really gives us a great message today. And here's the thing. Can you question God as a Christian? You know, we're going through Habakkuk, and at the end, it ends this week, and it's all about Habakkuk questioning God. Can you question God as a Christian? That's one question I want to answer. And the second question I think is the more important question is, what do I have to do to truly see Christ working in my life? Those are in your notes. It's on your app also if you have it. We want to answer those questions. 
Can you question God as a Christian? And what does it mean to truly see God in my life? Some people believe that questioning the Bible, God's direction, or God himself is tantamount to blasphemy. Or even in a smaller scale, a sign of disbelief. If you're questioning my Bible or something, you have disbelief or you're blaspheming God. That's what some people believe. But we look at the Bible and we see it's a little bit different than that. I would say that the reason why many people struggle with the questioning of God is because they don't understand the motive part. I love to talk about motives. I, ta- I was taught long ago about the concept of motive. What is my motive to doing certain things in Christ and in life? And that's what we're talking about today when we're talking about questioning God. In John chapter 14, where we're going to read in just a minute, three times the apostles question Jesus. They're questioning him because they're, they're struggling with something or they don't quite understand. Thomas, Philip, and Thaddeus, or Judas, question him. And we're going to talk about uh, Judas or Thaddeus questioning Jesus in just a few minutes. Why are we questioning God on some particular issue, doctrine, or direction needs to be asked? And what is the motive? We need to ask that. If it's simply saying we're trying to stall our obedience to God or our disobedience, then that's not how we should ask a question to God. If we're asking God just to kind of divert him from the truth, that's not the healthy way to ask God. The second one is if we come from a prideful self place saying, I know better than God. Anybody want to raise their hand on that one? Yeah, we do it all the time, but we don't like to talk about it. But we come from that place, it truly is a place where we need to realize that's not how to ask God questions. And the last one is if we're questioning God's authority, that's when we struggle because that's improper behavior too. One of the things that we have to first believe is that God is all-powerful and sovereign, right? And in that relationship, that's when we truly start to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. When we start to question that authority, it becomes a struggle. Our motives are off, and we no longer hear the word of God. Where can we see an example of that in the Bible? Well, the Pharisees questioned the authority all the time. Who gave you the right to turn the tables and question Jesus about who he was and what he was? Their motives were off. It was prideful, and they were questioning the authority. What about the rich young ruler? Richard Ruler comes up and questions Jesus, what do I have to do? And his motives were off because we see when Jesus tells him what to do and then gives him an even harder task, he walks away with his tail between his legs because, nah, I got too much money. My motives aren't right. I, I'm not going to give away my life for God. And even Judas Iscariot a little bit, when we get to know what he did and now when we look in retrospect, we question some of the motives that he had. Was he selfish? Was he struggling? What was his issue? And now we look at that and kind of question it. If we do question God, there's three areas that can really help us make the right questions. The first one is if we are desperately wanting to know the Lord. When you're desperate, in your place of desperation, when you're broken and empty and bankrupt and you have no other place to go, that's when the Lord loves to talk to you. And that's a good question. And many of us in this room have been there. Another great place is when you desperately want to know who the Lord is. I always look at the Apostle Paul as he's walking to Damascus, and he gets this moment and this revelation. It's blinding, and in the moment of this, he's like, who are you really? And he says, I'm God. I'm Jesus. When you're really asking who he really is, he loves to answer that question to you. 
And the last one is when you need light in the midst of darkness and chaos. When you are struggling and the, the, the world seems like it's ended and over and whatever's happened in your life seems like it's desolate and dark, that's when he flicks the light on and says, look, come to me, all who are weary and broken, and I will bring you peace and light in the midst of trial. And for whatever reason, this church heals hearts because we have a lot of broken people and have had a lot of loss in our lives. And he continues to minister to us constantly so that we can be right and whole and healed and, and in this right relationship with God. There are many examples of people in the Bible who have questioned God. So I would say the answer is if, if people in the Bible are doing it, we can also do it. Here's some very godly men and women who struggled with God's will and God's plan just like we do every day. If not, you should get up here and preach. Any takers? Well, I know there'll be a lot of takers, but I don't know if we... Here's some examples. Gideon and Moses. Gideon was kind of a knucklehead about questioning God. He does it a couple different times. Moses is like, not me. I'm a stutterer. Don't pick me. Pick someone else. I'm not worthy. I'm not good. He questions. Abraham and Sarah. How about laughing in front of God's face? Right, like I'm going to have a kid, and she chuckles and laughs. How about Job? Job's friends weren't very friendly. I actually don't like Job's friends. I don't need friends like that. Job's, you know, there's a moment of questioning God, and there's this great moment when God responds. Uh, Thomas, Peter, and, and et cetera, there's many people. Those who question God may waver and cause them to wait a little bit longer to receive the promises that God has. But God still wants to work through them. He uses these Bible characters to teach us that it's okay to question God. And even though they might get outside of the box of God's will in their question, he brings them back to what we call a right perspective. That's why it's in the Bible. Because I don't know about you, but life is hard sometimes. Since I've been in ministry, I've gone through things I would never think as a father and as a husband and as a man of God that I would ever have to go through. But God didn't say... Who makes you the anointed one, Jeff? You're just a man that needs to go through life like all of us. So the questioning of God is an important topic for us to understand. I think there's a significant difference between questioning God that brings wisdom and a fuller understanding of God and the kind of questioning that's, that comes to validate man and man's ways. And we can say woman and woman's ways. When we're trying to validate ourselves, it's not really working for God. When we're trying to get this fuller knowledge, it really opens us up. So the last part of Thaddeus or Judas, I want to say, is this. There's extra biblical writings. You know there's all kinds of writings about what happened during the time of Jesus, even people that didn't believe. And there's some extra literature that you could look to to see what happened. And some of that literature says Judas or Thaddeus went north to perform many miracles and preach the gospel. He founded a church in Edessa, which is in modern Turkey. And they're not really sure how he died. One tradition says that he was clubbed or axed to death. Another one said that he was crucified. We just know that he was a martyr and that he died. We don't know exactly what happened because there's multiple uh, conversations about what happened. But in, in John chapter 14, there's this moment where Judas, who's named Thaddeus also as a term of endearment, has this one question or conversation. Now, if you've looked at Matt, uh, John chapter 14, Jesus is in this discourse. He's in this dialogue with his disciples, and he's trying to teach them. And in John, he's trying to teach them that he's the father and that there's a Holy Spirit, and it's a promise. 
During this discourse or this sermon that he's giving, there's three apostles that question him. Number one is Thomas. Thomas questions him and says, I don't know where you're going. Jesus is saying, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going to go somewhere, and you're not going to, you're going to know how to get there, but nobody knows. And he's talking about him. It's a little bit confusing. But then Jesus is asked this question, where are you going? Thomas says, if you tell us where we're going and we know the way, we'll go. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's only through me that you connect to the Father. I am the way. And then a little bit later, as he's talking about this sermon and what he needs to do, Philip then asks him, Lord, if you, if you just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus is like, Philip, how long have you been with me? Am I not enough? Look at what I've done. Look at the miracles. Look at what the scriptures say. And look at what I've done and know that I am the Father and he is me and he is in me and I am in him. What more do you need to see? And then a little bit later, we see Judas or Thaddeus come into it, and let's read from it. It says, John chapter 14, verse 19, it says, Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. And when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Here we see that Jesus, if we're obedient, reveals himself. Now, here's where Judas, or Thaddeus Judas, however you want to say it, I want to make sure you're understanding who we're talking about, comes into the scene and then questions God. Judas, it says, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said, Lord, why are you going to, re why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the whole world? Now, Two things that we can read just from that, just from the first reading of that, it says this. Number one, Judas is probably his real name because they're calling him Judas and they're referring to him not as this term of endearment. So that's number one. And the second one is we see that he's got a motive for this question. Good or bad, we'll find out in just a second. But this motive is, there's a good motive for this question. Now, to be honest with you, when I first became a Christian and I started hearing this and I read this, I'm a marketing guy. And I'm like, Jesus, why didn't you show yourself to a million people? You know how much church would be like if we had a million people see Jesus? He only showed himself to 500. Wouldn't it be better if he showed himself to all of Israel or all to the Middle East? It would have been so much more powerful, but that's not the purpose of God. He's not into the global mass promotion. He's into that internal personal relationship. And he's going to work on us right now on that relationship. Here's some lessons that we can learn from Judas or Thaddeus. First of all, this question that he gives uncovers a couple things. Number one is Thaddeus was comfortable with his relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable in your skin? Are you comfortable in your relationship with Jesus to truly have a, a conversation with him and truly understand him and uh, ask him some questions? That's the thing that you really need to understand. Are you comfortable with your relationship with Christ so that you can go before him and say, man, I am in a tough moment in my life right now. I'm struggling. I've got, uh, I've got depression. I've got uh, financial issues. I've got relational issues. My child, my wife, my husband, my grandmother. Are you comfortable enough with your relationship with Jesus to communicate? Those that are have a very intimate, robust relationship with, with Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is, as he asks, why don't you reveal yourself to the world? We understand that Judas or Judas Thaddeus or Thaddeus 
demonstrates that he has compassion for the world. So this shows us that his motive is right. He doesn't want to just show a handful of disciples. He's like me. Lord, show yourself to everybody today so that we can have this mass uprising so that the world would be transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. His motive is good because he wants many people to see. Some commentaries say, oh, he's doing that out of pride because he wants to be elevated as one of the top 12. But the truth is, his motive, for the most part, is pure and right because he wants to show the world that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And he wants everybody to know Jesus. Now, Jesus answers him in verse 23. Now, who likes clear, concise answers? You know, when I go to Target looking for something, I want to get exactly what I get. I want to go, and if I don't know where to go, I ask somebody in the red shirt and say, where do I go to get this? And they're like, oh, go to Home Goods, or go here, or go there, and I get exactly what I want. With Jesus, that's not the same kind of relationship I have. I ask him questions, and I, I speak, and he speaks, and I'm like, can't you just give me a pretty straight answer? He's like, no, Jeff. I need you to grow a little bit. You're still stuck in a very immature, uh, small-minded, worldly mindset. And I need to grow you into a kingdom, powerful, Holy Spirit mindset. And that's what he does here. His answer is different than what we want. Can't you just give me, it's this, this, and this, three points, great sermon, and let's get out of here. Let's get into toppers and start eating, right? Or let's go to the beach and eat hamburgers. Here's what he answers. Jesus replies, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will, come, and we will come and make our home in each one of them. Here's what he answers. And this is an important place for us to understand. Here's the answer. Is if you love me and you know me, you know my father, and, and both of us are going to make a home in your heart. Now, I was reading some, um, I was reading some um, commentary this week. And Adam Clark is a great theologian and, uh, from the olden days. We're talking like 12 years ago. Just kidding, that's not olden days. Just joking. Uh, but this guy's a great theologian from the past. And instead of me talking about it and making it into something sermon that's my words, I just wanted to put it out and write because he kind of gives you some amplified readings of what Jesus' answer was. And it really explains what Jesus is saying. All he's doing is adding some more words to help us understand what Jesus is saying. He says, if a man or all, not only my present disciples, this is Adam Clark's writing, but those who shall believe in me through their own words, love me, receive me as Savior, and get the love of God shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost. He will keep my words, observe all my sayings, and have his affections and conduct regulated by my spirit and doctrine. My Father will love him, call him child, support, defend, and preserve him as such. We... Jesus, God the Father, and through the Son will continue to pour out our choicest blessings upon their head and upon their heart. And at the very end, he's adding to us scripture so that we understand. And he will make a home with each of us. He will make his heart our temple where God the Father, Son, and Spirit shall rest, receive homage, and dwell to eternity. Thus, I will manifest myself to believing, long, believing, loving, and obedient disciple, not to the world, who will not receive the spirit of truth. Here, we see him communicate what is it really in his answer. It's really having him dwell and be in our heart and be the temple of, uh, in our life and create this right relationship. Here's what verse 24 says. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. And I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. Here's the thing. In a few minutes, we're going to see the true answer I think Jesus gave us. But he's saying, listen, I'm telling you now when I'm here, but it's going to make sense a little bit later. And all that is done by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But he's like, I need you to understand what I'm saying. So when you do, the, when I went to, uh, uh, when I was doing some work in theolo- uh, theology school, one of the things they asked us to do was write outlines. And I don't know if you've ever tried to write an outline of 21 chapters in the Bible and kind of condense it to one page. It's not very easy. It's kind of hard because you've got to go, what are they really trying to say in a word or two or three? And that's chapter one and then chapter two and then chapter three. It's, it's pretty hard to kind of narrow it down. But here's a little bit in just outlining this chapter. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what... Judas is communicating, and here's his response. And we just see it in outline form. It says, love Jesus, keep Jesus' command, loved by the Father and Son, Jesus will disclose himself. Very simple. The second part says in verse 22, Judas wants to know why Jesus is only disclosing himself to the disciples. The answer, love Jesus, keep Jesus' word, loved by the Father. When you're loved by the Father, there's an indwelling of the Father and Son. Verse 24 then adds, don't love Jesus, don't keep his word, don't go to pass go, go to jail instantly. That's what happened to me. That's true. Why are you laughing, Mel? It's true. When you don't keep his word, obviously Jesus isn't going to disclose himself to you. The Father's not going to indwell in you. How can that lack of obedience actually create a right relationship with God? As we read, it becomes apparent that when we will see Christ when we obey Christ. We will see the Father when we obey Christ. If we are walking in disobedience, we're not going to see Christ. It's that plain and simple. And that's going to be the struggle that we have each and every day. If we obey the two commandments that we see Christ giving the rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, if we obey those commands, love God and love others, We will then obey Christ and we will see Christ dwell in us and reveal himself to us. And he will open up our spiritual eyes and spiritual heart so that we will see the world the way that he sees the world. Haven't you seen some Christians that just see the world differently than you? And you're like, man, I want to see the world like that. There's so much evil, but there's some Christians that just love people even in the midst of evil and give grace a couple years ago, a woman's son was shot in a church prayer group. You guys remember that? And then when they went to arraign her, him, she went up and stood up and gave grace to that kid. Even though he killed his son. That's hard. But that's because Christ has revealed something deep within her heart. Something that's supernatural. Now, Verse 26, I think, is the verse that really Jesus is trying to answer the question. It's about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14 at the end is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is the real answer on why Christ didn't disclose himself to a million or everybody in Israel. It comes from 26. Now, as I was reading this, I don't know when you guys read, but when you open up your Bible and you start to read, sometimes certain words or certain scriptures or sentences are just highlighted, right? 
even in my head, they just highlight, and I'm like, okay, this is something that we're supposed to talk about. So I think this is the answer, and I think this is what God wants us to grow in today. It says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. Most people think my job as a pastor is to stand up here and read commentary and break down the word every inch of every word so that I am to teach you. But the text says that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. I am just to be obedient to open up the text and go, this is what God told me to read. This is what I'm supposed to say and read in front of you. And forgive me, God, I say about 70% of exactly what you want me to say and I add a lot of fluff of my own ridiculousness. But my job is to open up the word and, and give what God says. And it says that the, the Holy Spirit is to teach us. He is left on earth to teach us and to grow us and to remind us of who the Father is and who the Son is. And it's all done through the Holy Spirit. The first part talks about he will teach us. Jesus says, if things that I have spoken to you from the Bible are unclear, trust in the spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the instructor to take away your doubts and fear. He will reveal more and more to you as you grow in your faith. He will free you from embarrassment and give you a greater, deeper revelation or understanding of who God is. And honestly, this is a promise. I don't know what you believe in a promise is, but it's not a human promise because humans break promises all the time. This is a God promise. It means it's 100% guaranteed. You can build a family on it. You can build a relationship on it. You can build a life upon it. You can build a church upon it because it's a promise of God. The second part, it says, remind you, in my text, which is the NLT, it also says remembrance. The word remembrance in the Greek has these, and these are Jeremy K's terms, so forgive me because I'm going to pull a little Jeremy K's for you right now, which is our wise pastor. It, it, this word remembrance has this tense, which is future active indic indicative. And what that means for you and I knuckleheads that went to like Chico State and below it means that this indicates there is future action from the promise of the Holy Spirit. That he's going to do something in the future and he's doing it right here, right now. It's a promise that he, the Spirit, is going to continue to reveal the Father and reveal the Son and grow us closer into that beautiful, intimate relationship with Jesus. Christ promises to inspire us through the Holy Spirit to, 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 to use his story and his history to share the love of Christ with other people. And he reminds us and teaches us things that we need to know. Let me give you an example, and then I'll move on. The disciples didn't understand Jesus talking about his death when he was teaching them. They didn't understand the death. But trust me, after he died and after he resurrected and three days later, and as he revealed himself, they started to understand. And then when the day of the Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came, they had a greater revelation, and they started to understand even more. And as they grew in faith and they grew in their walk and their relationship with the Holy Spirit, even greater understanding came. And we call that greater revelation from Jesus, from heaven to our heart. The Holy Spirit brings great revelation and it reminds us and helps us. And when we talk to people about Jesus, he is the one, the Holy Spirit, that's giving us those words that are edifying to their soul. John chapter 14, verse 7 is really the essence of what we're talking about here. It says, John 14, 17, it says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Who, the world cannot receive him because he isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives 
with you now and later will be in you. Here's the thing. When you hear people say, oh, I live a spiritual life, the first question is, what spirit? Because there's only one, and that one is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to set captives free and bring uh, the oppressed out of oppression. I'm here to release people and give them freedom and grace and mercy. But at one point, Jesus leaves to the right hand of his Father, and he leaves us this Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit is living with you now, but one day it's going to not live with you. It's going to be inside of you. And that is going to teach you and remind you of how to live and how to grow in your faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's answer that first question if I haven't been clear. I want to make sure that I'm clear. Can we ask, can we ask God questions? The answer would be absolutely yes, depending on your motive. A motive is a key word. If it's full of pride and envy and uh, wondering about God's sovereignty and plan, that motive is wrong and God's probably not going to answer you. Or if he does, it's not going to be a good answer. But we know that the answer is yes because the Bible shows us Moses and, and Abraham and Sarah and Job and Thomas and Peter and Gideon are all questioning. And even God, when they're ridiculous questions, he still works through that process. So if we're questioning God, we need to have a humble heart before the Lord. Get rid of selfishness. And if you acknowledge God as being the one in control, don't be afraid to question him. If you are comfortable with your relationship with Jesus or you're not sure of your relationship with Jesus, ask him and, and get into that more intimate place. If, you're, if you have a spouse and you need to have a tough question, if your relationship's not good, it's going to be a hard place to ask. But if your relationship's good, you can go up and go, Honey, this is happening. We've got to deal with it. And it's the same with God. When your relationship's tight, when it's intimate and it's good, you can question, and God hears and honors what you hear. The problem is, do you want to hear what he has to say? Listening is a big part of questioning God. Listening comes in several forms, but all forms start with this submissive heart and this receptive heart. We need to be humble before we ask God, and we need to have active listening to hear what God is saying. And a lot of times, can I get a raise of hand? He answers in a way that I don't like. Yeah. Kind of hurtful sometimes. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's not yet, or sometimes, Jeff, you still need to grow. This keeps looping back in your life. When are you going to change? Many times when we question God, the only way that we can really question God, and here's a, here's a tool for you, is when you question God, you got to get into that war room type of place in your life. If it's in your car, if it's in your home, it's in the place of prayer, if it's in your office, if it's in your bed, and you need to turn on a little bit of Christian music, you need to open up your Bible and you need to get that heart and go, Lord, I got I to gotta bring something to you and be receptive to hear what he has to say. And have your Bible open because he might give you scripture to give you a, a clue of what he's trying to tell you. But you got to be receptive to it. But most of us are like me. It's like, Lord, why did this happen to my family? Lord, why do I have this addiction? Why am I struggling with this issue, Father? And I keep repeating myself like he doesn't hear. But we know he hears. He know, we know he hears. 
But a lot of times we're so insecure of that question and we're so insecure of his answer that we keep repeating the question like he doesn't hear. He hears you. He sees you. He knows you. And he actually wants to hear from your heart. And he wants to give you scriptural references and words that will transform you and change you from the inside out. I thought it would be appropriate to close with a, a piece of scripture out of the book of Jude, even though it's not the same author. It's Jesus' brother that I think wrote this. It really kind of is, it, 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 in my Bible, in the NLT, it says a call to remain faithful. And he's kind of going back and saying, look at the twelve. Look at the disciples and remember what they said. And now the Holy Spirit is bringing back stuff that happened in the past and bringing it forward to the future. That's how God works. He looks us back into the past and we learn to grow faith by the Holy Spirit so that we can move forward with hope in Christ. Here's what it says. Jude 1 verse 17, there's only one chapter. It says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purposes in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who created division among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. That goes back to this one spirit. The Bible tells us that we have one God, one Lord, and one spirit. What spirit is these people talking about? It's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not bring division and chaos and confusion. After first service, one of my friends came up to me and says, Jeff, how do you hear God's voice? I said, you got to learn to listen to that one spirit. Well, how do you do that? Math, or Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Is it loving God and is it loving others? If that's, the, if that's the prism or the way that you look at the world, is this offering love to God and loving on others? That could be God's voice, right? Practice learning to love God and love others and hear the voice of God. Here's what he writes at the end. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Spirit and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will, kept, you will keep your, uh, yourself safe in God's love. Here's what he challenges us to do. Build each other up. How do we do that? through accountability partners, through Bible studies, through small groups, through Wednesday night and Sunday churches, through Awanas or whatever you're doing, you build yourself up in faith, the most holy of the faith. Pray in the power of the Spirit so that it will teach you and remind you of the work of Jesus Christ. Be obedient to God. Wait on the mercy of the Lord and listen to what He has to say and you will be safe in God's love. This one that Charles Spurgeon writes, he says, a little bit of faith, that little bit of faith, the mustard seed will bring your soul to heaven. A little bit of faith will bring your soul to heaven. You'll get that ticket to heaven, but greater faith will bring heaven to your soul. Do you want that ticket to heaven or do you want heaven residing in your heart and in your soul? Hearing the voice of God, following the spirit of God, healing in the name of Jesus worshiping like only we can worship in the name of God through his son. A little bit of faith will get you to heaven. Greater faith will get you to that intimate, 
robust, beautiful relationship with Jesus. Judas or Thaddeus also met Jesus in Israel and became a Christian too. That kind of goes back to my joke if you didn't catch that. Thank you. Let me give you some takeaway before we get into worship. What do I have to do to truly see Christ in my life? The first thing is that right relationship, that strong, beautiful, right relationship with God. Strong enough that you can ask him anything. Strong enough that you can challenge him to work in something and intercede with him to kind of break the change or the stronghold of something that's deep in your life. First thing, strong relationship with Jesus, and you have to have a strong relationship with others in Christ as well. Number two, love and obey. If you want to see him work in your life, you've got to love and obey. And listen, I am not an obedient person. By nature, I am disobedient. I do things contrary to what is right. That's just who I am, and I have to learn to be obedient. I have to pray and pound this selfish man every day. I have this heart and ego that needs to be beat up and bruised and jumped every day so it doesn't take over my life. And when it's humble and broken, that's when God shows himself through that process. The last part is to allow the promise of God, we call it the Holy Spirit, to teach us and to remind us. If I want to be a greater disciple, I've got to get into a greater relationship with the Spirit to teach me greater revelation of Jesus Christ. And to remember the words as I'm communicating and to grow in a deeper revelation of my faith. Opening up the word. And all of a sudden, you understand something that has never made sense before because he's speaking directly to your heart from heaven to your heart and beyond you know on on uh, on Wednesday my buddy Jeff gave a great message of praise and worship and he said the only thing that God gets out of worship is your praise the only part of God that God gets out of you on Sunday and Wednesday and throughout the week is your worship and praise you can do that through the message you can do it through singing songs. You can do it through prayer. You can do it through many different ways. How are you going to worship him today? Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, that promise of God, dwells in all of us that claim Jesus as Lord. Help us to become more obedient. Teach us how to follow you even when our mind and our heart wants to stray. Build us up in that right relationship, Lord, so that we can question you and engage with you and live in an intimate way with you. And for someone here that doesn't know Jesus or is distant and needs to recommit, now is an opportune time. If the Holy Spirit is tugging on you to finally submit, get on your hands and knees or spiritually submit and humble yourself before the Lord, you can say a prayer of salvation and get into that right relationship with God. If that's you, you can just repeat after me. I love you, Lord. Forgive me of what I've done, my sin, and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. You died a criminal's death and you rose again so that I may have eternal life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now. Teach me, remind me, and grow me in my faith so that I can learn to follow you all the days of my life. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.